Well, we're in week two in a series we're calling Incredible Women. I have a question I want you just to think about for a moment. Uh, what woman do you know in your life who has had to overcome so much? Just for a minute, just think about that. Uh, what, what woman in your life has dealt with a lot, has overcome, has made it through a lot of difficult things? Uh, women, as we look at this story in the scriptures, um, women in those days were often considered and looked at as really second-class citizens. Um, they were overlooked, um, used, abused. We looked at, at Rahab last week, and uh, we looked at the, the title that she had of, of prostitute, and we looked at how that was really more about what had happened to her and not necessarily the decisions that she had made. And so we, we see that they're often overlooked. And, and here's what I believe is that didn't just all of a sudden stop at some point. I think that still happens now. And uh, just recently, in the last couple of days, there's even been a um, very well-known pastor, author, who has come out and had some very unkind, unloving statements about Beth Moore, if you know who that is, and her role in, in ministry and and so I just want to let you know that we as a church and as a denomination affirm women in ministry. Um, we, we believe they play an important role. And I just really quickly, Kristen, would you come up just for a second? Kristen didn't know I was going to do this and kind of just thought through this. Um, we have uh, Lisa, who is our children's director, but Kristen uh, had a very clear call in her life to be a pastor. Um, and we have affirmed that. Um, she preaches, she teaches, she leads, she equips. And so I just want to affirm Kristen in the midst of that, because there's lots of dialogues that are happening right now as this guy who is very prominent comes out and makes these statements. Um, and so I just quickly, if you would, uh, I'm going to pray for Kristen, um, that the voices she would listen to would be the, the voice of God, right? Not the voices who would beat her up or make her question her call. And so would you just join me in, in doing that? God, I'm thankful for Kristen, thankful for her life and the call you have put on her life, um, how she plays such an important role in ministry, um, that she is not second class. She is not beneath me as a male pastor at all, that we pastor together. And so, Lord, I just pray that in these moments, in these days, when maybe she begins to wonder and question and, and maybe even listen to the voices that would beat her up and break her down, I pray that she would hear your voice that says that she is dearly loved and that she is equipped and meant to serve this purpose as a pastor. And so, God, I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you see us all the same, that we are all created in your image. And so in these moments, I pray that you would affirm that for Kristen and us as a church, that we would affirm that call that she has on her life. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we looked at Rahab last week. We're going to look at a lady named Ruth this week. Uh, we talked about how Rahab finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus. She, she's in the family tree um, that we see in Matthew 1. And that's significant because as you think about your family tree and you think about who you find there, if we thought about Jesus, we might think, well, only the best and the brightest and those with a clean record would be in his tree. And that's just not true. And so Rahab finds herself as a prominent person in the family tree of Jesus, and Ruth also does. 
There's only five women who are listed in the genealogy of Jesus, and Ruth is one of those. We're going to look at this story of Ruth. We're actually, I was going to attempt to do Ruth in one Sunday, and then I realized it's just not possible. And so we're going, to, we're going to break this up, do two chapters this week, two chapters next week. Ruth is an important book in my mind. Uh, I taught on this a few years ago in depth. We, we went pretty slowly through it. But really over the last couple of years, as I have looked at Ruth and heard people teach on Ruth and studied, there's some new fresh things that I want to share today. See, the book of Ruth really for the people who often in the midst of tragedy or multiple tragedies wonder where God is. This is a story for the people who in tough times hold on to their faith and commit to a life of integrity and commitment. It's for those who think that their ordinary lives don't matter or couldn't possibly lead to anything of significance. I'm going to assume that there's some of you in this room today who would fit in one of those categories. So again, today we're going to look at chapters 1 and 2. I'm going to kind of tell the story, but there'll be some scriptures that I want to pay closer attention to that will be on the screen. And so if you want, you can, you can look at those. Um, it's on page 258 in the Red Bible in front of you. Um, and I'm going to pay attention to these first few verses, and so those will be on the screen. It's Ruth 1, 1 through 5. It says this. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land, and a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife, wife's name Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Verse 3. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. They had lived there about ten years. Both Malon and Kilion also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So ten years, ten years in these first few verses, in her own hometown with her husband and two sons, there is this famine. And not only are they hungry, but they know their kids are hungry. And Naomi is married to Elimelech, who in the moment says, I don't know what to do. A lot of people say that Elimelech made an unwise decision here, leaving his hometown and going into a land that was known for people who worshipped other gods. That Elimelech should have just trusted more that God was going to come through in his hometown. But I, I, just, I just have to say, as a father, that, that I would do whatever it took, Right? to try and take care of my kids. And I would be seeking the direction of God. Amen. Right? It's, it's not one or the other. Right? And so Elimelech finds himself out into another country, into a foreign land, looking for a better place and a better opportunity to provide for his kids. This is n not uh, in any way a political statement, but a statement about the desire for parents to want the best for their children. A statement about parents in despair and not knowing what to do will do whatever it takes for their children. 
And this is what Elimelech is doing in the moment. But they find themselves in Moab. This would have been about 100 miles north of Jerusalem. This was not a desired location. This is not a vacation spot. Uh, I had the opportunity to live in Pismo Beach, California, and, and the kids that I would work with often would say, I want a t-shirt that says, I've, I live where you vacation, right? They got to live in a place that was beautiful, and thousands and thousands of people would come into Pismo Beach every year for vacation. This is not Moab. This is not a place where people are looking to go, but it was a place that Elimelech believed he could find a way to provide for his kids. See, here's the, the truth, though. Israel was really not supposed to interact with Moabites. That they weren't supposed to associate with those people because they served other gods and they were not following what God wanted for them. What's really interesting, a little side note, Judges, which is the book that comes just before Ruth, uh, it ends with a statement uh, that, that talks about how there were people in Israel, in those days, Israel had no king, and so everyone did as they saw fit, right? So there was a, a people group who were supposed to be following God, but because they had no king or leader, they just did whatever they want as well. But in their own ideas and thoughts, they saw themselves better than the Moabites. And so Elimelech and Naomi find themselves with their two children in Moab, and then Elimelech dies. So now you have Naomi, a widow, in a foreign land with no resources with her two sons who have married the wrong kind of women. That's how outsiders would have viewed this. They have now ended up in Moab, and now their boys have married the wrong kind of women, Orpah and Ruth. And then not too long after they marry, Naomi's two boys die. So now she finds herself in a foreign land with no resources, no husband, does not have her two boys, and now she is taking care of her two daughter-in-laws. Verse 5 is, is such a, a, a powerful scripture in the sense of just the weight, where it just simply says Naomi was left. She was left without her two sons and her husband. She is grieving. And what's interesting, if you're to read the book of Ruth, there is no part in this where anyone blames Naomi. No one blames Naomi for how she's feeling or what she is experiencing. Anyone would expect Naomi to be full of grief. Uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote uh, the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and a lot of other things, he lost his wife to cancer and wrote a book called uh, Grief Observed. It's a really helpful book just as he navigated what grief looked like called A Grief Observed. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, I once read the sentence, I lay awake, I lay awake all night with a toothache, thinking about the toothache and about lying awake. Make sense? You have this toothache. You're like, don't think about the toothache, but you lie there thinking about the the toothache and about not being able to sleep. It's this cycle. And C.S. Lewis says, that's true to life. Part of every misery is, so to speak, the misery's shadow or reflection. 
The fact that you don't merely suffer, but have to keep on thinking about the fact that you suffer. I only live each, I not only live each endless day in grief, but live each day thinking about living each day in grief. This is where Naomi finds herself. She's at a loss and has really no plan of what to do. So you have three women with no social status, no economic means. They're Israelite. She is an Israelite living in a foreign land. She would have absolutely been forgotten. She would have had absolutely, no one's coming alongside Naomi at this point in her grief and in her loss and saying, how can we help you? She would have been completely on her own. And so in this, I just begin to think about her story. And I often think about the first kind of takeaway that the thing I want you to think about is, how do we view people who are living in a certain way? Meaning, if you cross the, the street and you see a homeless person, what is your initial thought? Do you begin to first think, they have a story? Or do you immediately move to a place of, well, why don't they have a job? They must be an addict. Right? And so we quickly move to filling in the gaps and making our own story. And so a lot of people even do this now as they read the book of, of Ruth. They read the book and think, oh, this is Elimelech's fault. God has punished Naomi because of the decisions of Elimelech. And they fill in and, and really have created this story that I personally don't think is there. And so we often do that with people. We see people's situations and we think, well, why can't they just get over that? Why can't they just move on? Well, what are they holding on to? Instead of really beginning to think, man, what is their story? See, Naomi can only see a future in, in light of her own experiences. And so Naomi finds out and hears that food has come back to her home. And Naomi decides, I'm going home. I'm going back. I have a, at least a chance there to survive. And so she begins to make her way, and Orpah and Ruth are going with her. And then, and then all of a sudden, Naomi says, wait, 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 Orpah, Ruth, don't go with me. Go, go back. The only chance you have of getting married, the only chance of you being a, a mother and having kids is if you go back to Moab. And both of them at first, they, they continue with her, and then she says, no, 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 you, you have to go back. And Orpah, the one daughter, says, okay, I'm going to go back. And Naomi comes to Ruth and says, oh, Orpah, your sister-in-law, she's got to go back, go, go, go back. And then we have this scripture that is one of the most well-known out of, of Ruth. It's in verse 16 through 18. It says this, but Ruth, but Ruth replied, don't, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. See, Naomi for herself could only see one kind of future, but she could also only see this future for her daughter-in-laws that was filled with widow, widowhood, childlessness, and poverty. And see, in our grief, in our loss of anything, in anything, 
often we cannot see hope in our future. We just can't. It is deep and it is hard and we, we see life only one way. And this is where Naomi finds herself. And again, no one is coming to Naomi and saying, get over it. It's been 10 years. Move on. You, you have to, there, there's none of that that we read in here. And then you have this beautiful picture of, of Ruth. Where Ruth says, I'm with you. I'm with you. I know you're still grieving. I am too. And I am with you. And I'm going to be with you. Your people, they'll be my people. Your God is going to be my God. And this is what I think to be true about this, is that Naomi, even in the midst of her grief, was living in a certain way where Ruth began to notice. And Ruth began to think, man, my gods that I have worshipped looks different than the God that Naomi worships. There's something about that God. And so I think as difficult as it was for Ruth to maybe go with Naomi, Ruth also has hope. She has hope because of the life that Naomi has lived. And so can I just, can I just encourage you that you may have no idea the people that you're impacting just simply by the way you live your life. Uh, Tim uh, Bush, who has gone to college, he's back today, and he's studying what it means to be a pastor, and we had to have a conversation for one of his classes today about evangelism and what that looks like. And, and we were just talking about it, and, and one of my thoughts was, the way we evangelize is, uh, and by evangelize, I mean the way we share the good news of the gospel, right? Maybe that's a new term for you, right? Uh, evangelism is, I believe something, I believe it to be good news for me, and I want other people to experience that good news, and the way I think that works itself out best is by you living that out. Not just speaking about it, right? P people care about our words, but they care a lot more about our actions. And so I think at some point, Ruth begins to see something, even in this grief-lived life of Naomi, where Ruth is like, man, there's something different about her people. There's something different about her God, and I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go and, and be with Naomi. And so we, we first, just how do we view people? Do we, do we care about people's stories? And then two, the gift that I see Ruth giving Naomi in this time of grief is her presence. It's just her presence. I, I don't, again, see Ruth giving any shallow sayings or false statements, no lectures of what she should or shouldn't be doing, just her presence. The scriptures say that Ruth stays with Naomi. She just stays with her. She's willing to be with her in the midst of her grief. Uh, Catherine Sackenfield, who is uh, a professor of Old Testament at the Princeton Theological Seminary, she says this, Ruth acts in ways that promote the well-being of others. Let me, let me just say this, because this is one of these things we're going to spend a little bit of time on. Ruth acts in ways that promote the well-being of others. There's two different mindsets you can have. You can live in such a way where you have an inward mindset. An inward mindset says, I'm going to focus only on my own personal goals and objectives without consideration for others or the impact on others. 
It really is about me. So if I have an inward mindset, I often see other people as objects or people who are in the way of what I'm trying to accomplish. Right? So it would have been very easy in this moment. I'm not, I'm not saying anything about Orpah, but it would have been very easy in this moment for Ruth to say, man, if, if I go with Naomi, I may never get married. If I, if I go with Naomi, I may never get to be called mother. So it would be very easy in this moment for Ruth to have this inward mindset. But the other option is an outward mindset. It's a mindset that begins with making more of an effort to see and understand others, their objectives, their needs, their challenges, and their circumstances. An outward mind says, look, there's times I have to focus on me, but for the most part, I'm going to look and see how my life impacts and affects other people. And so Ruth sees that. I just, just really, really quick. Um, Chris, would you come up? Man, Amanda, would you mind? You don't have to do or say anything. You just have to sit, okay? I promise. Uh, Chris, will you come up too? No, it's okay. So, Amanda, you can sit there. A lot of times, this is how we live life. Right? Kind of back to back to people. Uh, Chris has her ideas of life and objectives and what is most important, and she is going in that direction. Um, Amanda has the same desires that she she has her own objectives and what she wants to do. And oftentimes when those don't fit, we just kind of turn our backs on each other or on people, and we just continue to go in our own way, right? And we we have this inward mindset of what is most important. And oftentimes what has to happen, Chris, will you hop up just real quick? is we really just need one person to turn the chair. We just need, we just need one person who says, okay, okay, maybe, maybe I could have an outward mindset. Maybe I could see Amanda not as someone to get in the way of what I'm trying to do, but maybe I could help her. And in helping her, maybe it would even impact Chris's life. Turning the chair is really, really difficult. It's really, really hard sometimes in marriages. There's conflict and there's difficulties, and it's really hard for one person to just turn the chair. Because the thought is, well, what if Amanda never turns the chair? What, What if she never sees me in the same way I'm trying to see her? And it's difficult. It's hard, but in this moment, okay, you guys can sit down, thank you. In this moment, Naomi, Naomi has this outward mindset. Naomi says, man, if Ruth goes with me, it may not end well for Ruth. And Ruth also could have had an inward mindset where it says, you're right, I probably should just go back. But but for some reason, Ruth says, I'm going to have this outward mindset, and the reason I think Ruth does is because of the way she wants to love Naomi in the midst of her grief. And so, again, can I just encourage you? Can I encourage you when, you, when you know someone is grieving? Grief comes in lots of different ways. It could be the loss of a job. It could be the loss of just uh, an important relationship. There, there's lots of ways that people grieve. And don't feel like you have to fix things. Don't feel like you have to have certain words for people. Just sometimes it's your presence. 
It's just staying with people. And that's what we see Ruth doing in the moment. Uh, Ruth and Naomi, they end up back in Bethlehem, and, and you get this picture that the ladies start to whisper. Um, they, they see Naomi coming, and people begin to say, is that Naomi? Is Naomi coming back home? Did you hear what happened to Naomi? Elimelech drug her off to Moab. He dies. Naomi loses her. Have you heard what happened? And then Naomi overhears it in, in verse 20. This is Naomi's response. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The mighty has brought misfortune upon me. See, Naomi, the word, the name Naomi means pleasant. And the word Mara means bitter. She goes away pleasant, but she has come back bitter. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that that's who I was, but that's not who I am anymore? I'm not that person anymore because of what has happened to me. How I see myself now after I was let go is not the same as I saw myself before. How I see myself now after a breakup or a divorce is not the same as before. How I see myself now after I have failed my parents is not the same as before. Naomi is unable in these moments to see herself in my thought as how God sees her. See, Naomi, because of her grief, she's unable to see that there can still be hope in the darkness. Maybe even the darkness of depression, that there can still be hope in a season of just sadness, that hope, even just a glimmer, just, just a little bit, can be seen even in our months of misery. Because of where she finds herself, it's hard for her to see hope. And see, what, what I want you to see is that bad things are not always the hand of God. Listen to me. This is what I believe completely. When bad things happen, you don't have to begin to say, God, what did I do? God, what did I do wrong? Did I not pray enough? Did I not read scripture enough? I know I've missed church for a while. I know I've made some bad. God, are you, are you punishing me? Are you angry with me? See, Naomi in these moments is blaming God. And here's what I, I often think, think happens. See, what, what Naomi is not going to be able to see in these moments is that God is still moving and working in the midst of her grief and her hurt. Right? Food has come back home. Naomi's getting to come back home. There is going to be something that happens in Ruth's life that is going to bring hope to Naomi. See, if we're not careful... We'll live out our faith in a way where we blame God when things don't go well. Or we'll blame ourselves, And then we'll forget about him when things go right. We blame God when things go well, or don't go well. And then when we see these gifts of grace and goodness, when, when good things happen, we're not always as quick to recognize that maybe God is in that. And so what blessings do you see in your life, even in the midst of grief? Even in the midst of darkness, what, what can you hold on to? What can you hold on to where maybe God is still moving and working and where he has not abandoned you? 
All right, let's, let's begin chapter two. Ruth tells Naomi she's going to get them food. Ruth says, look, we, we need to eat. Uh, let me go figure out what to do. So she's going to pick up the leftovers out in the field. Right? That, this would have not been uncommon. The poor, the widows, when they didn't have a means to, them to, to find employment, when they were overlooked or forgotten, they would go into the fields and they would pick up the leftovers. They would go out and see what they can find. And so we see in verse three, it says, Ruth, So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz, who was from the clan of Elimelech. I love it. As it turned out, some say, as it just happened to be, she just happens to find herself there. And and what I think is God is pushing her and leading her into a place where she is going to find hope for herself and for Naomi, and she finds herself in the field belonging to Boaz, great name, uh, who belongs to the Elimelech family. Do you remember that name? This is highly important, and we'll we'll get to that in just a a few moments. So Boaz shows up, and he's greeting everyone, and then he's like, whoa, who's that? Uh, Who is that girl in the field? Uh, I I need to know who she is. Let, Let me get to know her. And in this moment, there's, there's really what I think almost this love at first sight, this attraction to Ruth. There's a desire to know who she is. And she, he goes and begins to converse. And he knows what she has done for Naomi. Boaz finds out the faithfulness of Ruth. And Boaz says, don't, don't go anywhere else. You, you stay here in my field. I will, I'll take care of you. Let me read a different scripture real quick. Leviticus 19. Um, These, Leviticus are a bunch of laws on how to do life. And Leviticus 19 says this, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Do not go over your vineyard a second time or pick up the grapes that have fallen. Leave them for the poor and the alien or the foreigner I am the Lord your God. Boaz is living out the instructions that we read here. It would have been very easy for Boaz to want more. We don't really know what that looks like, do we? To to want to take as much as we can, right? To acquire as much as we can. It would have been very normal and natural for Boaz to say, I see a bunch of grapes or I see a bunch of wheat still in the field. Why haven't you accumulated that? But Boaz, I believe, knew who God was and was following the instructions that has been set before him. See, just real quickly, this scripture is about God. Right here, this scripture, Leviticus, and what Boaz is doing is a scripture about God and how he cares for and provides for the hungry. This isn't hungry as in, oh, I'm hungry for more, I want more. From this is physically hungry. The people who are overlooked, God cares for them. God is a God of the poor. And this is a scripture about justice. This is a scripture about justice, providing for those who were overlooked in an unjust system, when women specifically had no one to take care of for them, or to take care of them. This is a scripture about justice, where God says, those who are overlooked, those who are on the margins, you make sure they have what they need. 
This is a scripture about the people of God seeing God in people. Hold on, let me say that again. This is about the people of God seeing God in people, not overlooking people for any reason at all and to take care of their needs. And so Boaz says, look, I, I know who God is and I know what God wants for me and I'm going to do it. And then he, he does more. He does more than just to say, hey, glean from my field. Don't go anywhere else. He begins to put this plan together to say, all right, workers, you're going to see that woman in the field. You make sure she has what she needs. Actually, don't just see that she has what she needs, but give her more than she needs. This is not necessarily a great business plan. Uh, This week, I was gone on a leadership training in, in Michigan, and my wife texted me on Thursday and said, Liam, who is my five year old brother in law, she said, uh, Liam sold his fruit roll-up today at school for a dollar. And I was like, good for him, right? Like, he's already an entrepreneurial mindset. He's like, all right, I'm, I'm making some deals. I don't know how this happened. I would have loved to have been there. Like, I don't know, he's like, hey, I got some fruit roll-ups. You want a fruit roll-up? Like, does he have this, like, opportunity? And so that, this, he, he makes it all right. So then I find out Heather, Heather texts me back and she says, actually, Liam sold his fruit roll-up for $3 and then took $2 and bought some bracelet, right? And so, and he has a dollar left. This is a good business model, right? You sell to those who need something and you take the, the, what you get and you use it, right? That is a good mindset. He's going to be on Shark Tank here in the, the future for, for some reason. But what Boaz is doing doesn't always make sense. Specifically, specifically if you don't know the ways of God. Right? When you follow Jesus, when you are following what God wants for you, it doesn't always make sense. Especially to those on the outside. Right? The teachings of Jesus are often counter-cultural. They're hard. And so... Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you've done. May you, richly, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. You, you have been searching for God, and he is going to take care of you. Ruth, you are faithful to Naomi. God is going to be faithful to you. And in being faithful to Ruth, God was being faithful to Naomi. God was taking care of Naomi in the midst of their grief and despair. All right, let's, let's quickly get to here at the end. Ruth 2, 19 through 20. It says, her mother-in-law asked her, where did you glean today? Where did you work? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. Because she comes back with an abundance. Right? And Naomi's like, what in the world? Where did you find this? Where did you go? Then Ruth told her mother-in-law about the one at whose place she had been working. The name of the man I worked with today is Boaz. Verse 20, the Lord bless him, Naomi said to her daughter-in-law. He has not stopped showing his kindness to the living and the dead, she added. That man is our close relative. He is one of our kinsmen redeemers. See, there was a plan when a woman lost their husband specifically, that a kinsman, a family member, should come along and take care of them. Well, to this point, there was no one. No no one had filled that role. And now we see that that's Boaz. 
that Boaz is this kinsman redeemer, and the redeemer part is so important. See, to redeem means to gain or regain possession, right? And this is what I think. I think Naomi, Naomi in this moment, as she comes back, bitter and grieving, she finally is able to put her fingers on a little bit of hope. I mean, he has been kind to the living and the dead. God has not forgotten me. God is going to take care of me. We are going to be okay because there is one who is going to redeem us. Naomi is beginning to see just all that junk that she has gone through, the pain that she has experienced over the last 10 years, that God's not forgotten her. That God has not abandoned her, but he is still providing for her through Ruth and now through Boaz. And just like last week, if you were here, if you weren't, I'd encourage you, maybe you could go back and listen, but Rahab puts this crimson cord out, this scarlet cord out as a way of showing where she was at. And that crimson cord was the symbol that, that she would be passed over. She would not find destruction in her home. And, and I said that crimson cord is this picture of, of Jesus, right? That Jesus, through his death and resurrection on the cross, provides a way out for us. And we see here, too, that this is really pointing to who God is, that, that Jesus is the Redeemer. Jesus is the one who will redeem us. He is the one who gives us hope in a future. He is the one who says, who you were or how you see yourself is not how I see you, and it is not who you have to be. He comes to proclaim freedom for the captive, sight to the blind, to find those who are lost, to save and to rescue. That is what we see happening for Ruth and for Naomi. That in the midst of grief, when you cannot see a way out, it does not mean that God is not doing something. And sometimes it takes someone else coming alongside to help make that a reality. And maybe you're in one of those places. Maybe you feel like Naomi. There's been grief, there's been pain, and there has been hurt, and you do not see a way out. You try not to think about your grief, but in thinking about your grief, you think about grief. And for you, it is dark, and there is no light. But can I just tell you that there is still hope? And some of you need to play the role of Ruth. Some of you just being present, of just staying with people in the midst of their grief. And see, grief, there's no timeline. Can you just hear me say that? There is no this, well, it's been fill in the blank, right? The, the grief is this just every day walking through it. And it might look different in seasons. It may get easier at times, but it gets hard at times too. And so for some of us, when we play Ruth, don't feel like you have to have the right words. It, it's just presence. It's just, I'm with you, caring for you. And together, you begin to believe that maybe hope will show up in those dark moments. And then, some of you play the role of Boaz, who fight against injustice, who fight against the things that have been set up to hurt people or to harm people, who, who fight in ways that says this is unfair or unkind, and you begin to help provide for people who are grieving and who are hurting and who are overlooked. And in all of that, 
we believe that God shows up. We believe that God is near to the brokenhearted. That's what the scriptures say. We believe that joy comes in the morning. And sometimes morning is not tomorrow, but morning is going to come. And that there is joy in that. Greg's going to come up and sing our, our last song. Just as he comes up, would you just take a moment? Would you just take a moment and begin to see where you might find yourself in the scriptures? And in this story. And no guilt or shame, but where are you? If you are like Naomi this morning, it's okay. It's okay. You can sit in that grief, but would you just begin to see that there can still be hope? That God is still providing hope for you in the midst of that? And if you're Ruth and you need to come alongside of someone, would you just pay attention to that? But in all of this, if you have never seen Jesus as the Redeemer, the one who sees you, loves you, knows the brokenness in your heart and provides a way out, that maybe today would be that day. That you would just simply believe and accept that he is for you, not against you. He is with you. He has not left you. And there is grace and forgiveness that is extended to you. Would you stand as I pray and we sing together? Father, I'm thankful that wherever we find ourselves, you are there. If we're in a new season of grief, you are there. If we are in the grief of year 10 or year 20, you are there. And God, I pray that you would help us to begin to see in the brokenness of life, in our hurt and pain, that you have not forgot us. Would you help us, Lord? Would you forgive us, Lord, at times when we blame you for things and we fail to recognize how you are still with us? God, would you help us to be with people? Would you help us to not only have an inward mindset, but to look outward, to look at the needs of others, to not see people as objects, but as people who have been created in your image. God, would you help us? God, thank you for redeeming us, to regaining us, to offering us grace and forgiveness. I pray that every person in this place today knows that, believes it, and may it impact their lives. I pray in Jesus' name.